It's an interesting time for energy in the Caribbean. The prices of renewable sources such as wind and solar are dropping, as are technologies like batteries. And governments see a golden opportunity here. At the same time, COVID-19 is exacerbating challenges facing a region already struggling with debt, hurricanes, and other natural disasters, which makes shifting to sustainable energies all the more urgent. So what is the latest news there? What are the opportunities and challenges? And why is the whole process moving so slowly? To talk about all these issues, our guest today is Malika Masson, Senior Regional Energy Specialist at the Inter-American Development Bank. I really think we need a more diversified energy sector. Welcome to Energy for the Future, a podcast by the Inter-American Development Bank on energy trends. Malika is in charge of IDB energy portfolios in Jamaica and Bahamas, and she has a coordinating role on energy across our six English-speaking Caribbean countries. She will be interviewed by Virginia Snyder, Senior Energy Specialist at the IDB. Hi, this is Virginia Snyder. Hi, Malaika. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today to talk about the energy future of the Caribbean. Hi, Virginia. The Caribbean had set several goals in the pathway towards new energy systems, but the train seems to be moving slower than expected. But before we talk about challenges, let's begin by talking about possibilities. Recent technological changes offer new horizons for the region. What are those innovations and how can they help? Yeah, so let me just start with what I think our goal is for the energy future in the Caribbean. Um, firstly, I really think we need a more diversified energy sector uh, because this will support you know, resilience and a greater level of independence for what we need in the Caribbean, which is a more diversified economy all around, not one that's just solely dependent on tourism. And secondly, I think we need to utilize technology better. You know, we need to use um, all that is at our fingertips right now in terms of the innovations, the financing and the partnerships to help uh, Caribbean leaders deliver cheaper and more reliable and smarter energy services to citizens. And really, technology underlies most of the nuts and bolts required for the transformation in the energy sector to take place in the Caribbean. And like I was saying, you know, thankfully, we have a lot of those modern and effective technologies that are cheaper and um, more reliable than they used to be, which in turn is on our side in terms of giving us um, more reliable electricity. So, for example, solar is now the cheapest electricity in history. This was recently confirmed by the International Energy Agency that uh, solar is now uh, 20 to 50% cheaper today than they had estimated in last year's outlook. And, you know, with regards to energy storage, um, expansion is expected by 10 times more than what we have today, reaching 53 gigawatt deployments annually by 2030. Also, when we're looking at uh, lithium-ion battery costs, in the past 10 years, they've fallen 90% to close to now $150 per kilowatt hour. So this is going to really spur uh, the electrification of transportation. And, you know, we're hoping that at, say, $100 per kilowatt hour, we'll reach price parity so that electric cars are at the same price as fossil fuel cars. 
So, you know, all these technology developments are giving us hope for being able to reach that energy transformation quicker. Um, and of course, connecting all this technology are uh, uh, digital systems. And that's why we keep on talking about the digitization um, of the energy sector that I really do believe will help our leaders, our regulators, and even household customers make more impactful decisions and make them faster. You know, analysts are saying in the last year alone, we've been sitting on 16 zettabytes of data. And this is set to expand at least 10 times over the next five years. So, you know, together with cheaper technology and this digitization we speak about really at our fingertips, we can't help but propel the energy transition in the Caribbean. Great. Can you give our audience an example? Yeah, the IDB has been a key stakeholder, you know, in that digitization process in the power sector. So, for example, I can think of Suriname and Guyana, where we are working with the utilities there on their digital strategy to improve um, customer systems, business information systems. So we're financing SCADA, demand forecasting and outage uh, management systems, as well as really helping them on their distribution management system to improve that, um, that integration of variable renewable energy on the grid. So um, I, do see, I do think that that's why, you know, in the case of Suriname and Guyana, where we're already working, we should be seeing cheaper and more reliable cleaner energy. Um, uh, and, and of course, we know that this depends on good leadership, good governance and good stewardship of the sector. Um, and, you know, and, I mean, unfortunately, when you, when you look at where we are now, it is all of these opportunities are taking place in an environment of great uncertainty, you know, a potential long drawn out recession, you know, thanks to COVID-19 and ever increasing concern about natural disasters and hurricanes. Now, let's, um, let's talk about energy resilience. We have heard and we've seen tragic outcomes following hurricanes, floods and other natural disasters that continue to be a huge threat to the Caribbean. Now we are seeing another need for resilience, this time in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what are we doing to help the Caribbean and can we help them prepare in other ways? So let's start with uh, natural disasters. You know, um, sadly, in the past two decades, the Caribbean has experienced over 400 disasters associated with these extreme natural events and storms being one of the greatest destruction of, um, of energy assets across the region. So three years ago, we had Hurricane Maria and Irma uh, that devastated islands across the Caribbean. Dominica suffered damages close oh, just over 200% of its uh, 2016 GDP. And of these, you know, I think 33 million or so were related to electricity infrastructure and 33 million related to revenue. And just look at Dorian, um, Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas that caused over 200 million worth of energy related destruction. With each passing year, we're reminded that this existential threat of global warming is only becoming more acute and posing an ever greater risk to um, growth and stability in, in, in the Caribbean. And that is why, as a bank, we can and we must help on both the mitigation and adaptation sides. 
um, you know, with working with Castalia consultants, we researched these these topics and produced a report on the costs of um, of both investing and benefiting from resilient in, innovations and interventions. And we we um, estimated the, that there's net benefits of approximately four billion US dollars over the next twenty years if we make investments like um, say undergrounding distribution systems where it makes sense uh, because you know um, I know that this is expensive it can you know can be four to five times the amount of uh, the kilometer for distribution lines which is currently around ninety thousand US dollars or adding 20% additional capex to strengthen or harden, if you like, um, generation assets like solar and PV wind assets. Um, so yeah, the costs do add up, but you know, like I said, there are benefits to, to, to doing this. Um, and in, 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 terms of, um, in terms of things that we can do that are not just about infrastructure, um, additions, we can also start to invest in more technical and economic um, disaster risk management planning, you know, looking at uh, what makes technical sense way in advance, um, looking at the cost benefit analysis of, um, of how to great prepare for disaster risks, and also um, exploring appropriate battery storage systems that can provide resilience and storage at the moment of the hurricane, you know. Um, also, you know, things that we take for granted, like uh, adapting and adopting building codes to increase the economic benefit of keeping the lights on, you know. So these things we can do um, over and above um, the investments that we're, we're saying are necessary in hardening or, or making those um, generation and distribution assets more resilient. But who pays? Will regulators allow passing such resiliency costs to consumers? Are there better mechanisms to spread the cost of building resiliency? Should taxpayers pay, and not only electricity consumers? Is there scope for more ambitious financing instruments? Yeah, you know, you're so right, Virginia. These are still fundamental questions we're grappling with, together with partners and our clients. I mean, this is this forms sort of the nub of the, you know, the, the discussions we have when we're looking at generation, new generation assets or new T&D assets. But we're not, you know, we're not sitting still on this. Um, at IDB, we already have a disaster relief contingency facility, such as in the case of Jamaica that, um, and, and the Bahamas, which are being utilized as we speak for immediate response to the destruction caused by hurricanes. And, um, and in terms of programming and doing things differently in the Bahamas, for example, we have a mandate with the Ministry of Finance to utilize a conditional credit line for investment or uh, a CLIP, which is a new instrument that allows us to be a bit more flexible in how we respond to, um, to future um, investments. So in this case, in the case of the Bahamas, we're looking at advancing renewable energy there. And um, our program marks the very beginning of supporting this energy transition there. And it, it goes to helping uh, short-term financing to build back better the energy infrastructure affected by Hurricane Dorian, you know, increasing the resilience of systems as we talked about in terms of CapEx and both planning. And it also provides sort of medium-term mitigation measures to introduce smarter, uh, cheaper renewable energy installations in the Bahamas combining um, off 
on and off grid microgrids with utility scale solar as well. And, you know, being cognizant of doing all this um, together with the regulatory framework and even creating a new entity um, that will, will, will really focus on that grand push of renewable energy in, in the Bahamas. Um, and, you know, resilience is not just about resilience in terms of this infrastructure and planning, but it's also resilience in terms of independence of the sector, you know, the, the ability to also participate and be independent of, um, say, foreign involvement in it. And so um, we're working on local content measures to champion skills and training of, of local contractors to, to support um, a more resilient renewable energy. So COVID-19 has triggered a severe and unprecedented economic crisis in the world and, of course, in the Caribbean as well. The combination of the halt in the tourist arrivals, the fall in international oil prices and a widespread rollout of curfews is having a severe economic impact on the region. How is this impacting the energy sector and what can we do about it? Yeah, you, you, you're right again here, um, Virginia. It's very sad that all six countries, you know, in the IDB's Caribbean department, um, namely the, the Bahamas, Barbados, Guyana, Jamaica, Suriname and Trinidad and Tobago, are now expecting a worse economic outlook than was originally forecast in January this year. And, you know, while COVID cases are low in the Caribbean in relative terms to its small population, representing, say, less than a 1% or 200,000 cases globally, it's really the tragic impact on livelihoods that has been brutal across the Caribbean with millions of jobs lost and informality on the rise. Um, also, investments and remittances are stalled, you know, so um, a double whammy for, for the Caribbean. Yet, you know, being hopeful, on the other hand, we have a growing renewable energy sector that is adding close to half a million jobs and skills globally each year. So we need to find ways for the Caribbean to tap, tap into that growth market. And if ever there was a time for multilateral financing and regional solidarity, it's now. And this is why we're here. We're here to help with, you know, the variety of financing instruments, uh, technical support, related to fiscal, monetary and social policies, and particularly, you know, supporting the most vulnerable. Um, I believe to date we've provided approximately 7.2 billion across Latin America and the Caribbean to support the COVID response. And uh, we're looking to increase that capital commitment um, uh, that, that we normally do at the IDB from 12 billion US, do uh, 12 billion US dollars annually to 20 billion. Um, so, so that, you know, the lending that we do on energy, um, which uh, is uh, about a billion US dollars on energy, sovereign guaranteed energy projects across Latin America and the Caribbean of which, of that billion, 60 to 100 million goes to our six Caribbean countries. We want to see that, that grow in appropriate measure to the needs of, of, of the region. And um, we, you know, it's an, of course it's not just about lending, but of course the technical and knowledge-based solutions that we can bring to help improve job creation, digitization, supply chain support to um, small and medium enterprises, and of course, importantly, um, you know, both you and I are women working in the sector, but we need to do more to increase that 
uh, for, for other Caribbean citizens uh, who want to participate in the sector. So, um, and you know, if you look at our portfolio, um, it, you know, we will recognize that across the Caribbean, we have these centralized top down, if you like, vertically integrated, um, and in some cases, monopoly utilities. And we know that the next wave of transformation is going to be led by consumers and customers. So our pipeline is also reflective of that. You know, I've, I've mentioned support for utility digitization strategies in Suriname and Guyana, but we're also looking at more distributed generation in Jamaica, the Bahamas, Guyana and Suriname. And so we're supporting um, regulatory uh, uh, frameworks and guidelines for how distributed generation can be tailored more to the needs of customers in those countries and national frameworks for you know, of course, diversifying energy more generally, you know, and it needs to be reflected in policy. And so we are doing that. Um, we also have our, our portfolio um, is, is also looking at loss reduction planning and um, how to improve both technical and non-technical loss reduction strategies. You know, seen as a lot of um, energy generated gets lost. And of course, you know, the big the big push now is for electric mobility and but electric mobility that uses cheaper and cleaner energy sources. So, you know, you, you'll see that a lot of our portfolio reflects those kind of directions. Um, and of course, the, you know, going back to COVID and, and, and how this is impacting the economies, of course, it's impacting our project, um, our, our project projections and our pipeline, because the lockdown measures, um, you know, have, have really impacted our clients and impacted even the way we work. Um, so we are, though, you know, we are still continuing to combine our um, support and coordination with our technical um, and knowledge management um, and interventions to our clients. So we're still working on sort of assessments of energy options um, we're looking at technical studies related to energy efficiency or electric mobility. And, and this can, of course, all be done um, remotely, given the knowledge we already have on the region. Um, so during these past two months, uh, 12 months, should I say, most of our teams have been focused on the logistics of momentum of connecting all the players remotely to maintain that momentum. So we continue to explore ways to uh, de-risk investments, facilitate the transformation um, using technical studies or um, evaluations that make sense to our clients. So everything suggests that the time has come for a renewed push to support the energy transition in the Caribbean, something that is so needed. And as the research shows, the Caribbean is full of untapped potential for significant penetration of sustainable energy technologies. But inefficiencies and barriers of different kinds continue to hinder the integration of these technologies. And the process have been, let's say, slower than expected. How are the Caribbean leaders addressing these challenges? Yes, we must acknowledge that Caribbean leaders are ambitious and committed. You know, uh, we must acknowledge that there, there have been uh, some big commitments on renewables in um um, across the energy matrix from countries like Dominica and Barbados aiming for 100% renewables by 2030, Guyana 
is looking at 100% renewables by 2040 and Jamaica 50% by 2037. Uh, but progress, as you say, towards these targets is very slow, uh, mostly as a result of what I've talked about previously, you know, the significant and devastating impact of natural disasters, rising debt, and now the pandemic. Um, but given the technology opportunities um, and the financial and policy instruments already at our disposal, and the inspiration of our leaders, I think we can do things differently with partners, um, and especially those who are interested in the good stewardship of the sector. I want to leave you with three recent developments across our portfolio that make me feel confident we're getting there. You know, For example, Jamaica. Jamaica is finalizing its electric uh, vehicle uh, strategic or electric mobility strategic framework, and it has targets to electrify public and private fleets across the country. So, um, you know, that's that's something that that was not there a year ago. And so um, this is quite a move for it for the country. And simultaneously, the country is also embarking upon an ambitious but uh, very real and now a renewable energy procurement process that we're supporting. Uh, starting next year. And this is these uh, electric mobility framework policy developments, as well as the renewable energy procurement, uh, are both projects that we're helping with in Jamaica. In Barbados, we're supporting the development of new technologies like energy storage, electric mobility, ocean thermal energy conversion, so that by 2023, the Barbadian government has as many options as it needs to be on its way to achieving that 49% uh, nationwide reduction in fossil fuel consumption, um, which will produce the energy savings that they estimate of uh, between 200 and 400 million US dollars. And then of course in Guyana, in spite of the massive oil find, we continue to support the government on a diversified strategy, which includes the regulatory framework for utility scale renewable energy, um, as well as solar PV mini grids with um, battery storage in at least nine um, isolated hinterland communities. So from my perspective, you know, I, I really believe, Virginia, that the future energy outlook for the Caribbean is very promising. And I feel very grateful um, to be working with the IDB and our clients um, on, on such an exciting um, portfolio of projects at this time. So Malaika, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your views. And um, we are sure that renewable energy promises a bright future for the Caribbean. There are challenges to face, but also many, many reasons to be very optimistic. We will keep talking about this in future episodes. So looking forward to having you back. Thank you again. This was Energy for the Future a podcast produced by the IDB on energy trends. To the audience, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.